The entire team at Emsolation want to acknowledge that we are gathered on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We want to recognise that we are recording and telling our stories on the stolen land of our country's first storytellers. We wish to pay our respects to all Wurundjeri elders and ancestors and to extend that respect to any First Nations peoples who listen to Emsolation. We recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's continued connection to the land and waters of this country and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. This is the International Women's Day edition of Emsolation with M. Rossiano. Well, hello there and welcome to Emsolation. My name is Em Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain, and together with my best friend since I was 11, screenwriter, actor and Logie Award winner and podcaster, Mr. Michael Lucas, I bring you this podcast each and every week only on Spotify. And the first thing I need to say is happy International Women's Day. Today you are getting a very special episode. I gathered together all the women that I have spoken to over the existence of this podcast. Look at many of them are my friends, but yes, I surround myself with powerful, impressive women. That's what you do because, you know, they say you are the five people that are around you all the time. So, I mean, mama ain't no fool. You're going to be hearing from my dear friend, an incredible historian, filmmaker, director, writer, Santilla Chingayepe, my friend, I'm just going to be saying my friend, <laughs> Melissa Leung, of course, from MasterChef. We also have Dr. Kara, who, as you'll recall, I invited on because I realised a lot of people weren't sure how to clean their vulvas correctly. Jamila Rizvi, my darling, my darling Jamila Rizvi, probably one of the most impressive humans on the planet, also drops in. Virginia Gay, who we adore, and of course... The period maestro herself, Lucy Peach, because these things are important. Kat Stewart is also dropping in. Chloe Hayden. I mean, what more could you want on International Women's Day? Make sure you do something nice for yourself today. Make sure you pat yourself on the back. Take five minutes extra with your coffee. I don't know, just one moment in time where perhaps you look to your left and look to your right and think about all the things that you fucking get done and all the people you keep going, you keep afloat, all the curation you do in your life. Stop and look around and give yourself a pat on the back because no one else will. I'm doing it now. Look at me. Feel it. I'm giving you a nice firm, that's it's an Italian mother pat on the back. This week I am giving speeches, ironically working the hardest I've ever worked during the International Women's Day festivities. I'm um, around giving some keynotes, which I love doing, and uh, I just wanted to put together, you know, a little thing that you could always go back to because each of these women that you're going to hear from will leave you, I think, feeling just a little bit better off than before you pressed play. So please sit back and enjoy everything that's coming to you. Play the music.
M. Luciano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. I'm back because I said play the music, but I didn't tell you what was coming up first. <laughs> As briefly mentioned, I innocently put up a video after seeing a TikTok trend around how women clean their vulvas. And I could see that in this particular video that kind of came across my eyes, there was a lot of confusion. And I thought, oh, God, no, everybody knows how. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask my community, do you know how to clean your vulva? (laughs) Turns out a lot of you didn't. And some of the responses were horrifying And I knew that something needed to be done because, you know, this is something we just weren't taught. We're not taken aside in school. It's assumed knowledge. And so friend of the show, Dr. Cara, gynecologist, came on and gave us the definitive method of how to clean one's vulva. So when I asked my community how they wash their vulvas... (sighs) Tell me. Mm, I don't know what order to do this in. I think maybe, okay. So I got a really, like hundreds, if not thousands of, they take their shower head off, they put it on the highest setting and they douche their birth canal essentially, like like they're hosing off the driveway for Christmas Day. It's <laughs> insane. Like sitting on a spa jet. That is how, wow. yeah. So can we talk about, let's talk about why that isn't. Blunt force trauma yeah. to the, your internal reproductive organs isn't great. Not recommended. So I think that there is benefits that we can clearly think of of using that those shower functions yes. on your Yes, if you want to get off, if you want to have an orgasm, fine. But even then, you're Go poor clitoris. It. I mean, that's a lot of pressure coming out. <laughs> Maybe it. not for high pressure, exactly. But no, you don't. It, it, so what it reminds me of is people who have an injury from water skiing, right? Where if you're water skiing and you hit the hit the water and you can get water going right up um, your vagina, in through the cervix, into the uterus, and you can get seriously injured that way. So it's not a good idea. It's not necessary is the most important thing. And it's potentially risky. It's going to cause problems in terms of upsetting your bacteria or putting you at risk of other um, other infections um, and bacterial overgrowth. And so you, you're doing yourself a disservice. So <laughs> <laughs> what about if one changed, what if it was a gentle stream of water? Is that still not advisable? So you don't need to put anything inside your vagina is the take home. (laughs) Well, for the purposes of this conversation, let's be clear. Yeah. When one is thinking about having a clean vagina, you just don't, you do not need to put anything inside your vagina to make it clean. So vaginas are very wonderful that way. They're very Mm self-cleaning. They're very very good at keeping themselves in balance. Mm -hmm. There's a few exclusions to that that we can have a bit of a chat about, but in general, you don't need to put anything, whether it be at water or douching material inside. What about apple cider vinegar? Mm -hmm. Because that one came through. Wow. So after their periods, a few women squirt apple cider vinegar up their vagine. What would you say That's, to that, Dr. Carr? Uh, I would say I'd say a big no. I'd give that a big no. <laughs> I nearly died when I read that I one. 
Wow. I know. Yeah, I don't know where people get these things from. Well, I know where they get them from. They get them from the internet and TikTok by the sounds of it. Well, I, uh, that one was horrendous. The other one that really has a stronghold on thousands, Femfresh, Vagisil, these products that are designed specifically to clean an area and yeah. then obviously women will be like, oh, I'm... I'm probably meant to then because that's what this is made. Yeah. First of all, they don't even mention the word vulva with the femfresh stuff. Like you yeah. don't even read any any of the anatomically correct terms. So straight away, shame. Yeah. Secondly, the floral scent. Like so we're meant to smell like a flower down there, are we? <laughs> and I just have such an issue with these washes. And I, I know when I walk past them at the supermarket, I like scowl at them. Yes. But, Cara, I can't tell you. Thousands of times, how many times yeah. I read the word femfresh. Wow. So this is this just epitomizes late capitalism, doesn't it? It's just it's capitalizing and commercializing on people's insecurities and, and fears. Correct. And shame for something that is just completely unnecessary. And yeah. people, if they're told they're not normal or they're smelly or they need to do this to smell right, of course they're gonna pay money to do it. It's just so it makes me so mad that not only are we, you know, shamed into having to look a certain way and, you know, dress a certain way and be a certain body weight, now our internal body is being policed. Like like literally inside us is being policed and being told it has to meet a certain beauty standard. So you categorically state to ladies and vulva owners listening now, do not use those products that say no. that they're specifically designed. Say it, say it, no. say it, Dr. No. Cara. Do, do, do not spend any money on anything that purports to claim your vagina in inverted commas because you do not need it. You're wasting your money mm-hmm. and you're probably going to create harm for yourself. Exactly. All you need is to just give, you know, a shower, just a jet water, and pat yourself dry. That is it. Oh, we and need we're to do it. No, I'm going to get you to the now. vulva. We're going to get the you to. The vulva. So a lot of people still, like, this is the other thing. A lot of people who own vulvas call them vaginas. Yeah. So explain, and I know this may seem ridiculous yeah. to some people, but I only really learnt it five years ago that there's a difference. Yeah. And out of habit, I still say vagina because it's also yeah. one of my favourite words. Um, yeah. There's just so much power behind it. But it's actually so... The entire chassis is the Volvo, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the vagina gets way too much credit. So the vagina is not really doing, it does, it's not doing anything good, right? right. It's just a conduit okay. between your uterus if you ever want to use it mm. um, and the vulva where all the good stuff is. Mm. So the vagina doesn't really have much in the way of nerve endings. It doesn't have much in the way of function really other than just being a, a passage, right? Got it. So all the good stuff is the, in the vulva. So in particular, of course, I'm thinking about the clitoris, mm. which as I'm sure you know mm. is so much bigger and better and more spectacular than we ever realised. Mm. Um, and that that um, evidence and that understanding is just starting to come to light. So your clitoris is is part of your vulva. You've got your labia majora, so mm. the outside lips. The flaps. You've got your labia. Yep. yep. The outside flaps. You've got your labia minora, the inside flaps. And are they the little? Sh- are they the little like crinkly they're bits? The thinner, yeah. So yep. they're the thinner ones. But I don't like to say they're the they're the little ones because did you know that over half of people with a vulva, their inner lips. Mm will be longer than their outer lips. Oh, good to know. So you know, yeah, so yeah. you know the concept of innie and outie? Yeah. 
And people, you know, think that... But the clitoris is, sits, uh, there's no hood covering it? Is that what you mean? No, you no mean the so, lips. So the, the lips, yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. the inside lips being longer than the outside okay, lips. Okay, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this myth that people always have their inside lips being very small mm. and you can't see them and they're tucked away mm. um, in the way that we often see, you know, airbrushed and on porn and porn. things like that. yeah. But in fact... Most people, the majority, they'll be longer, so they sit out. Oh. So your inner, yeah. So some people, they're, they're smaller and they're tucked away, mm. but for over half people, they're um, longer. That's so, so good to know. So vulva havers, that's totally normal. Yes. Good. Totally normal. So, yeah, there was a big research paper that came out about it recently that um, because medicine is, you know, we follow the patriarchal world, right, and mm. so we're very slow to catch on mm you know, to do any research or investigation or pay any attention to to women's health problems or people with vulvas. And so, yeah, there's some papers that came out recently where people have actually measured labia minoris and labia, labia majoris, mm. so the big flaps and the little flaps mm. or the outside flaps and the inside flaps. Mm. And, yeah, surprise, surprise, the inside flaps are often longer. Inside flap overhang is normal, gang. Yes, put that on a (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. It rhymes. (laughs) Okay, so that's good to know. So the vulva is the rock star. The vagina just got all the credit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, again, it comes back to the, you know, patriarchal-centred interpretation of sex, right, Mm. because the men... The men need the vagina. The vagina is what gives the men pleasure. Because the, the vagina is where the men park their penis. It, correct. So it's pen, penetrative sex is pleasurable for the man, and so that's why vagina got all this attention. Oh right? my god, Kara! <gasps> I'm blowing it open, wide open. Of course it is. That's the only bit they care about because they don't care that's about the, the clitoris. Only bit they care about. Oh. The, the clitoris is useless to them, and so that's why it's had no attention, right? Oh. My God! So the PR for the vulva was left to the the patriarchy, and they're like, "Alien, you care about the bit that makes us feel good, and that's Correct. why." <gasps> that's why we keep going on our, about our vaginas because we've been taught to center them yes. in our pleasure, when in fact they're. You know, I'm not going to say irrelevant, but they're definitely a second to all the other stuff that's going on out front. Okay, so to everyone listening now, you need to educate every other person in your life that it's vulva. And that, that's the feminist thing to do and here's why. We're changing it. I don't want to hear the word virgin vagina ever again. Okay, coming up next, I sat down with one of my best mates, Jamila Rizvi. And, look, we went everywhere, as we tend to do. We ended up kind of landing on, you know, both of us wear many hats and oftentimes we have to introduce ourselves, as I do at the start of this podcast, But we wondered what it would be like if we honestly introduced ourselves, like without the social niceties, no holes barred, truthful introductions. And what you're going to hear next is what we came up with. Please enjoy Jamila Rizvi. I mean, if I could introduce myself to new people without fear of judgment, I would say, you know, hi, I'm Em. I have ADHD with autism. I'm also perimenopausal. I'll probably forget your name. I'll be extremely anxious the whole time and just really fantasise about leaving. And please, if there's anything I need to remember, can you text me after? Like, how would you introduce yourself if you could? I'll tell you in a moment, but I've got to say, Mm. the incredible thing about you is I've pretty much heard you introduce yourself that way. Like, you you found a place where you can just say that and I haven't yet. Were I to introduce myself completely honestly, I would say, 
hi, my name's Jamila. I have too many jobs for the hours in the day, the week and the year. I am someone who is chronically stressed about having underachieved and so I run myself into the ground. And in the last few years, I've put on top of that significant disabilities and a recurrent brain tumour which have made all of that harder and I haven't taken the opportunity to cut myself some slack as a result. Also, don't judge me because I'm going to eat kind of weird because I'm on a lot of drugs. All right, well, our next guest is somebody who I creepily watch chew food. (laughs) I, of course, speak of my dear friend Melissa Leung who came to join us on the eve of her gold logie ceremony, the run she didn't win, robbed. But she was gracious enough to give us some time and it was a very busy week for her. We discussed a wide variety of things. But, of course, we kind of had to focus around the eating. The eating for me, I needed to know if she practised in front of a mirror. And while discussing this, she revealed something wild about her co-hosts. That's a hook. Please enjoy Master Chefs and my friend, Melissa Leung. So there were no chemistry tests. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. It is amazing. Sounds very breakfast good radio. Casting. Yeah. And it does sound breakfast radio, but in contrast to a lot of breakfast radio teams, yeah. it works. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes no chemistry testing in breakfast radio isn't a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember. Daily Mail, put your pen down. I'm not saying anything else. I do remember because I was working. Can I just? Can you imagine? Oh, they'll them be dying. Just you and I there with a notepad, oh, just poised. like right now. Oh, is that it? Oh, is that it? Ah, oh, oh, take your pick. That's fine. Um, that's incredible. No oh, chemistry yeah. testing. And I no do remember test. hearing because I was working on a ten show at the time, and I was hearing from ten executives. And that this was back in the era where it was like, "There's new judges of MasterChef. Yeah, what that was is it? Wild. Is it a poison chalice? What's going to happen? All that yeah. sort of stuff." And I remember them saying, it's, "They're very good. They're very good." I remember thinking to myself. Well, we'll be the, the judge of that. And then the first time she ate, remember the text messages that it was She knows. She knows. I've told her. I've told her. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're obsessed. It's like, look at Melissa eat food. It's like that was oh. our my god. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. We're gonna uh, ask her. We do you practice in front of a mirror? <laughs> Tell the truth. I mean it. Tell the truth. Oh, that can't. is a joke that went far too long. So I can't remember which radio station pitched as it, pitched it as a talkback subject, and they said so. We thought it'd be funny if you said that you practiced in front of a mirror and then asked the audience what embarrassing things that they would like to fess up to, and I was like. Okay. <laughs> and this was very early on. Very this early on. This is when you when just saying yes to everything. When I was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and just wanting to please everybody. I'll roll and with I it. said okay, mm. and then it turned into the world's longest dumbest joke. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I need to sit in front of a mirror and practice where the food goes. But, but it looks so good. <laughs> I've watched myself, like, well, after I watched you, I sat in front of a mirror and watched myself chew. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, how'd that go what, for Not you? right. <laughs> like, you're never in danger of me I, getting a chewing job. I will credit Alenka Henry, executive producer mm-hmm. of uh, Great Australian Bake Off. She was my executive producer on The Chef's Line for being in my ear when I did The Chef's Line and I did take... <laughs> A very enthusiastic bite out of an entire quail, stuffed quail. Mm. And she said, you might just want to try a smaller bite. <laughs> I would so get that note constantly. There's geography there. And I just remember saying, thinking to myself, 
Note it. Small bites. <laughs> Note See, there it. is a technique. So if in doubt, for any aspiring... You so know, if you see whoever, me just being like... For whoever's next in, in my seat, just mm. take half the bite you think you want. <laughs> That's so good. Actually, that can be applied to life. To be fair... Take half the bite you think you need. It's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful thing to leave. It's like, you know how presidents leave a note for the next one? Your note should That's be, mine. just take a half bite. <laughs> just, just solving all the world's problems in We do, yeah, we really, we do bite. love to watch you eat. That sounds strange. In any other context, it sounds strange, mm. but we do love it. The other thing that I just completely loved about watching you in particular, all three hosts, but particularly you, is that you just brought so much empathy to the role. And and it seemed really um, notable to me because I think there's often this thing with any kind of artistic pursuit, obviously massively so in food, that like to to, to achieve great results, you need to be cutthroat. Gordon Ramsay. You ne- yeah, you need to be yelly and you need to be sort of, you just shut yourself down and be uncompromising and everything. Mm. And what I loved about watching you in the role was you were so articulate. And, and so sort of driven towards excellence and everything, but still mm. so empathetic and, and showing that all those things can happen at once. You yeah. don't, you know, and bringing empathy and an emotional con- connection doesn't mean that you're, you know, changing, lowering standards you're or anything like that. You're not giving prizes for turning up. Yeah. 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 And, and it's just so... And it made me think about, you know, because often um, in my work, yeah, you're always trying to push people around you to be better and everything like yeah. that. And how do you navigate a way to do that that's still so caring? And you sort of are just the best example for that on TV oh, five you. nights a week. That's <laughs> very kind of you. I mean, I think we've all experienced all sorts of motivation from the tough love approach through to mm. a more empathetic approach. And I know what works for me. And I, I guess I see that people are already pushing themselves as hard as they can go. Mm. I mean, it blows my mind that these contestants turn up every single day having no idea what we're about to throw at them. They have Mm. no idea. And so we set them a challenge and they have to meet the brief or do whatever it happens to be and they're already under a state of stress that they've put themselves in but it's a state of stress nonetheless. Mm. Mm. And so what I feel that I can bring to that is an understanding and, and maybe just helping them to see the horizon a little bit when things feel a little bit lost at sea. Ah, oh, what a woman. What a woman. When she like, when her and I go out to eat, I do, like, I watch her. And she is a method eater. She eats the same way when the cameras are not on her as she does when they're on. So it's just a natural thing. You know, you're just born with it. Now, the next woman, God, talk about. I often say to her, I don't know why what you get out of being friends with me. Like, she is so impressive. I can't begin to tell you the list of achievements Santilla Chingayepe has to her name. She is a, a deeply decorated and awarded historian. She's an author, a director, filmmaker. And I was lucky enough to chat to her. And this is how we met. It was in the aftermath of Black Lives Matter. And I wanted to understand, you know, how we could all be better allies. And bearing in mind, it's not any person of colour's responsibility to educate non-black people and non-people of colour how to be better allies. That's on us. But Santilla said she wanted to talk about it and she was happy to talk about it and I really triple-checked with her before we did this and she was generous enough to give an answer because... So many of you, I know, want to step up and want to show up in a more meaningful way. She was very generous with her time. And from this chat, a friendship, I have to say, one of the, I love her so much. I'm, I just, every time I'm with her, I'm grateful that she's in my life. 
literally. This is Santilla Chingayepe. How can we be better? Conversations like this are a good start. Mm. Recognising that they're things that you don't know. Mm. And when you don't know, just allowing others that do know to speak, you know, just like in any in mm. any context, you know. I sort of think about like, you know, when we talk about sexism and we try to get, you know, we're, we're trying to dismantle sexism. One of the important things, and there is an acknowledgement that in order for that to happen, you know, men have to be part of that conversation, right? Mm. Equally, for us to dismantle racism, we need everyone part of it. And like I said, there are, there are, there are enough resources um, available for people to begin the journey of allyship. But it also goes beyond that. It goes, it goes you know, it's the kind of conversations that you have at home, the kinds of conversations you have mm. with colleagues, the conversations that you have with your children. Um, mm. It's about who you're voting for the people that you're voting for and the policy platforms that they represent. The same way as feminists, we, we, we argue that, you know, policies that, that impact women disproportionately should never be supported. We should be doing the same when it comes to policies that impact Indigenous Australians and other marginalised communities. Yes. And it's that act of lobbying, you know, and people mm. are doing it. I mean, you look at the Australia Day uh, the Invasion Day rallies, for example. Mm. I mean, I've been to some of those rallies over the years and they're people from all walks of life, of all races. There is recognition that enough is enough. And that also is a useful way of showing solidarity. The same way when we go out and we're, you know, calling for um, action and climate change, you know, it requires everyone from all walks of life to mm. step up. And that's all. And that's all it is. It's just you know we we however you recognise and and see what you can do with what you have. Some people have more power than others, and I completely understand that. Mm. But it's just doing whatever you can within your community to ensure that you're not repeating past mistakes and that you're conscious of these things. That's all. Yeah, it will require people to be uncomfortable and have uncomfortable realizations about themselves and put the needs of other communities equal to their own. And I think that's the big kind of block for a lot of people is, and like you said, we're now able to curate our existence and surround ourselves with like-minded people online and make ourselves feel good all the time and like we're right all the time because we've, we've curated this echo chamber of agreements. And when things kind of step in, and, and I'm guilty of it, but I've just created this little left-wing bubble where everyone's holding hands and getting along and everyone's equal and that's... America happens and these images hit me and I realise I'm wrong. I'm, I'm in denial. I'm in as much denial as the people who, who are saying there isn't racism. I need to do more. And, you know, what you just said to me, of course I need to look into the people I'm voting for and what their record is on Indigenous health and treatment and incarceration and education. And you're so right, Santi. It's just not something that's ever made obvious. I think it's, look... Like I said, it, this is a journey, right? Mm. This conversation is as hard for me as it is for you. But there are many ways that we, we can show um, our solidarity in many ways, you know, mm. whether it's backing organisations, corporations that centre marginalised communities, you know, that don't profit off of those. I mean, even even just those little things that we do in our daily life, the same way that we we show our support, you know, for various movements based on how, based on our purchasing power, 
you could do the same when it comes to racism. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can, you can, you, yeah. you can do the same. And it's it, like I said, it's never ending. It's it's not something that you know you do once and you're like, okay, I've done it, and therefore you know that's it. It's it's being mindful of it, and you know people get it wrong. We all get it wrong. We're flawed human beings, but it's trying. That's all you can do. You you try and you try again, and you just keep trying, and hopefully, you know, when our children are our age. They don't have to be having these sorts of conversations. They can be having conversations about other things. Oh, God. Her book is coming out this year. And, well, I mean, I'm going to have her on again, but just go and search for Santilla on Instagram. Go and look her up online. I'm, I truly, I can't explain to you. She's, she's rare air. She's hen's teeth. I always leave her feeling smarter slash dumber. <laughs> Next is the divine... Virginia Gay. Oh, talk about meeting a twin flame. We've always kind of passed each other and, you know, we're kind of friends online, but we never really chatted one-on-one. And this was during the summer series. I knew I wanted to get, like I said, light-seeking, maximalist power individuals and Virginia Gay fits that bill. We chatted. It was a wide-ranging chat. You can go back and find this episode. We really just kind of wax lyrical on the meaning of life. But... This was during the pandemic and during the lockdown when a lot of us discovered some big, hard, raw truths about ourselves and she was really open about the things that she had discovered. This is Virginia Gay. What have you learned about yourself that you did, weren't expecting mm. to learn? What did you like? Totally. What's the big, raw truth that came through for you? Well, I will tell you that I, so I went to America end of 2018 and for all of 2019 I was in America mm. and what what is weird about that time and of course for the beginning of the apocalypse for most of 2020 mm. I was in the I was in America too darling <laughs> fucking hell what a time didn't you get you got time. COVID honey didn't I got COVID over there because you couldn't fucking avoid it no also am I allowed to swear on this oh, podcast oh god yeah I filthy please mouth. fucking okay, swear great. oh my god great, yes great, great, great. yes um, but so I was over there in 2019 and what happened in 2019 is that I realised for the very first time in my life that by going to America, I had walked away from all the external struts that I didn't even realise I was using to hold myself together. So What were they? Work, mm. absolutely work, absolutely the badge of being busy. Mm. Money, like actually having money and going, I have money, that means I have self-worth. To my shame the little bit of fame that I had, I was using that to, I was like, but I'm, I'm invited because I'm famous or I'm getting in because I'm famous. Mm. My friends, my family, my lovers, like everything that I was using, which I didn't realise I was using externally mm. to hold me together. Mm. And going to America and walking away from all of that and thinking that it would be some big adventure where, of course, you know, you or everybody anticipates that when they go to America, somebody will be like, oh, my God, you're the next Cape Blanchard, come this way. Yeah. And actually what happened was nothing, actually nothing, Mm. meant that for about four months in the middle of that year I became an absolute puddle. Like when all of those structures disappeared, I was like, oh, I've got nothing. Mm. I'm just going out and it's sad. There's There's no through line, anything. And I recognised in that time that if I didn't do internal structure, Mm. 
I would be waiting for the rest of my life for those external struts to come back. <laughs> and waiting was making me anxious and waiting and not getting them was making me sad and making me feel worse. So I was like, oh, you have to do that mm. work. So that was the work that I did in 2019. And I remember that shifting my entire focus, my entire life going, okay, it's, it's, not, it's not about whether you get the thing, it's about whether in one connection with another human being, mm. you had a great chat. Mm. Did you feel connected? Mm. Did you feel seen? Did you feel listened to? Mm. Great. Mm. That's a real thing. Mm. That's a real thing that I can control mm. and that I can get nourishment from. Great. Mm. That's it. And just taking it back to like the simplest mm. of that. So that was like an amazing revelation and it feel like it changed me. And that was when I started writing to where I was like, oh, I can't, I can't wait around for the stories to come to me. What if these things that I want to talk about and these things that I want to do in the world, oh, I have to do them. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So then going into 2020 with that understanding was amazing for writing, mm. let's just say. Like that was great to go, well, there's only the hours, so what are you going to fucking do with the hours? But was even more debilitating somehow because I had learnt that a thing that was very important to me was interpersonal connection. <laughs> like actually yeah. just talking to people in real time and, and vibing off them and getting that energy mm. and not feeling like I was performing to a group of people and doing a performance of myself, mm. but actually stripping all that back and going, great, oh, that's interesting. Mm. And when that happened, did you, oh, wow, no way. Mm. And just that vibe. So to lose that as well was very destabilising and one of the things that I think is absolutely true of my time during the apocalypse, <laughs> so in my time during 2020 and 2021, is that the things that I wrote then, Cyrano and the Boomcake Panto, but very particularly Cyrano because Cyrano is about longing and isolation, mm. I was writing the connection that I needed mm. because it was oh the my only God, way. lady. It was yes. the only way I could yeah. do it and get it. And also, of course, what's nonsense about that is that you're writing connection, which is a fiction, which you also control. So also to analyse that and go, I know this isn't real connection, mm. but let's try and make it feel as real as possible and then gift it to someone else and go, does this feel right to you? And let's read it and let's try it. And, but, but that's one of the other things that Cyrano particularly examines is this idea that Cyrano is the author of this entire experience mm. and is manipulating Roxanne mm. by writing these letters and telling other people what to say. And for Roxanne in my production certainly to go, this is not connection. This is you exerting control mm. over another and you can't live like that. That's not living. Mm. It's a beautiful piece of art, but it's mm. not living. So what are you going to do to live? Which mm. I think is a really important thing. This is Emsolation. All right. Well, you are listening to Emsolation's International Women's Day special. God, how you going? How you going? Are you feeling it? Are you feeling inspired by these incredible humans, these women? Our number one ticket holder happens to be one of Australia's most beloved actresses, Kat Stewart, of course, famous from Five Bedrooms, Offspring playing Billy, my favourite role of hers, Roberta Williams on Underbelly, so, of course, you can imagine when we finally had Kat sit down and chat with Michael and I, I had to bring up Roberta and strong-arm her into giving 
a tiny performance. And my God, I want it saved and I want to have it as my ringtone. Please enjoy. Catch to it. Obviously, we should. T- Sorry, I've had a tequila and I'm already getting snitchy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we should talk about how I ripped off you and your marriage for Billy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Does Cat know the let's, extent that you let's wind, mind? Let's wind back to Roberta, though. You're, you're in here having a fucking holiday. I'm out there with shitheads terrorising my kid. No, plus, I'm hauling around your fucking sprog, which is doing my fucking fanny in, and my back is fucking killing me, and the house is a fucking bombsite. I'm, I'm doing my fucking best, all right? So if you say one fucking word, Carl Williams, I'm going to jump across this table and I'm going to feed you your skinny fucking balls. But also, wasn't it a weird thing with Underbelly whereby... It was banned in Melbourne, where you live. Yes. So, therefore, it's like the biggest show in the country, except just not where you are. Oh, my God, I forgot it got banned. Shit. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, so it, I know yeah. I know the Sydney-based cast were having a ball, doing nightclub appearances, <laughs> getting free TVs and stuff. And I was just I was doing a play at Red Stitch in St Kilda. <laughs> um, and I was doing a bit of on, you know, I was doing a couple of days a week on an SBS show, Newstopia with Sean McAuliffe. But that was, you know, that was pretty, you know, it was just a couple of days a week. It was, yeah, it was just pottering around, really. It was a really, it took a long time and there were a lot of contraband DVDs floating around in Melbourne and eventually it kind of hit critical mass and people had seen it, but it never actually got broadcast in its entirety ever, I don't think. Is that a fact? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they had to, they had to pixelate Tony Mockbell's character and do things and I think they, yeah, I don't think they ever actually showed the whole thing. Roberta, your Roberta is so fucking iconic. Like, and you are the classiest lady I think I know in my life. And I didn't know that until I met you. And then after I met you, I said to Michael, how the fuck did she pull off Roberta Williams? (laughs) Where does it come from? Yeah, what did you? First of all, for me, for your friend, Mm. can you give me some Roberta, please? Oh. Come on, don't you say no, don't you say no. I all right. Get your own fucking chips. <laughs> one more time. One more time. Wait, shh, Michael, got to isolate it. Got to isolate it. Shh, shh, shh. Okay, go, 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 go. Get your own fucking chips, you cocksucking pair of poofters. <laughs> so appropriate for the audience too. Oh, amazing. That is electrifying. I just want to say at the moment, I can't see Kat, so that voice just came into my ears and I, that I don't recognise that person. I have to tell you, I can see Kat. And her face just took on Roberta. Like, even though she looks stunning, like she's luminescent, glowing, I just have to tell you, that's as close to an orgasm as I have come in such a long time. (laughs) Oh, get your own fucking chips, you bunch of fucking... Oh, my God, it's so good. You're so good. You are. I used to have this weird theory when I first met you that maybe like playing those sort of characters is amazing therapy or just some sort of outlet because you you are so lovely and, and polite and, and patient, boys, like more so than anyone I know. And I just felt, what well, did she get out all of the <laughs> everything? It was really puzzling because when I you know started, as I said, with tumbleweeds and I couldn't get arrested, but the things I was sent for. And I've looked at my headshot since and it was pretty shady. So I didn't, I, it was the nicest I could get. And I was getting sent for, you know, just prostitutes, drug dealers, you know, all the baddies basically. And it's just my face. Just, my head is a bit pointy and a bit mean looking. My resting bitch face or whatever. So I just sort of had to make my, my peace with that. That's what I was sent for. And I fought it initially. And I remember trying to like do pretty makeup and stuff. Didn't make any difference. And so, but in the end, it, it was fantastic. And it, you embraced so your inner drug dealing prostitute. Characters that are different to you. Resting bogan really face. Liberating. Oh, 
God. Okay, but so... No, I, love, I love that character. She's one of my all-time... I think she's one of my all-time favourite characters. I was electrified watching her. I don't know, I just... It was so great. It was so great. Then, obviously, Billy from Offspring. And why are you both here today? Well, I'm, I'm wanting to get in shape for an upcoming occasion. Okay, a wedding or...? Just lunch. Michael still gets berated by listeners of this podcast. He still gets hate tweets when he gets brought up, so sorry, bitch. What was the effect on your life outside of Offspring. So were you walking around, were people coming up to you devastated? Yes. I remember being in a shop and it was sort of around the time Patrick had died but Nina hadn't been able to get in contact with Billy and this woman in a shop said, your sister needs you. (laughs) 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 And obviously she knew it was, but there was a lot of... I don't know, there's a lot of passion in it. <laughs> so there was, it, 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 people really cared. And I, I was, I mean, the cast was so upset when, when we were told. And when we read, I remember reading that script and between setups, and I had to stop because I was crying my makeup off. Like I, you know, we were all so invested and involved in it. But then I knew when the writers, including Michael, told me about this storyline. I think it was Deb, Deb Oswald saying, but, 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 but it's all worth it because it leads to this moment and it's the very mm. moment you just mentioned mm. and the I will love the baby and, until you're able to. And I kind of I held on to that. And then, you know, the, that series ended on such a great note of hope. But, yeah, it was, it was big and mm. it was, you know, people were calling sick in from work and all that stuff. It was <laughs> And now they're all triggered again because Matt Lenevine, who played Patrick, is doing MasterChef, Celebrity MasterChef. It is a fiddle, so that's reassuring. Alive and well. <laughs> I also remember Kat was around at my house with that episode. We were all, there was a gathering. Em was there too. I was there, we were there. You were in that episode. And I still remember. I was in that vivid... episode. He put yes, me in the, right. yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he put me in. You know that I auditioned for Claire Bowditch's role, which was written based on me again, and I couldn't, even, I couldn't even get it, couldn't even get the role of myself. So they ended up putting me in as myself in the that episode. I said, Michael, of all the episodes, I was going to be But you got now. to interview her. Yeah. Well, you're in an Australian classic t- episode of television. So I, Thank anyway. God. But I still remember us, we were reading all the tweets and there was so they produced an ad campaign that's like, who will die? And Billy was one of the main <laughs> contenders. And I still remember you bursting out laughing in the middle of the episode reading a tweet and the tweet was something like, I don't know who's going to die, but I hope it's the sad lady in the tank top. <laughs> Which was Billy. Was me or Jimmy or Patrick? And they were, I, yeah, no one wanted Patrick to die. It was very much me and Jimmy. Oh, I voted yeah. for Jimmy when we were discussing it. Don't worry about that. Oh, <laughs> wasn't it great to hear about the aftermath of killing off Patrick? Michael still gets hate mail, and rightly so. Coming up next. I got to chat with the delightful Chloe Hayden, Heartbreak High's Chloe Hayden, and I don't know, as I said before about Virginia Gay and Twin Flames, Chloe, it was like looking at 25-year-old M. It was joyous. I felt like her and I had finally met an alien from the same planet, if that makes sense. You'll hear how fast we talk. It's kind of our own cadence. And some people thought we'd put the speed up to 1.5 when this episode originally went out. But I knew I needed to get her on once I saw her portrayal of Quinny on Heartbreak High. Chloe is autistic, of course, in real life, and her character Quinny is autistic in Heartbreak High. 
And there was a particular scene where she was sitting in a restaurant and all the sounds were coming at her all at once. Her senses were exploding. And it's the first time I saw my experience of autism represented on screen. And it was really profound and it had an impact globally. So I needed to talk to her and she was just beautiful. She speaks about being new to an autism diagnosis and also gives some advice to parents who are perhaps supporting a newly diagnosed autistic child or have an autistic child. It's glorious. Please enjoy my chat with Chloe Hayden. I get a lot of parents, a lot of parents, and I'm new to this, and and often people are like, how did no one tell you that you were neurodivergent until Mm -hmm. you were 42? But again, I think people just put that down to M being weird, Mm -hmm. quirky. I really hate the word quirky because it was always thrown at me as an insult. Yes. Oh, my God, you're, like, so quirky. Quirky. Yeah, all the popular girls at school. They like, want to say weird. Like, so, you're so quirky. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 And I was like, <laughs> you really want to say weird or fucked. Yes. That's oh, my like, God. Yeah. Yes. That's what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, start, I bristle when someone says, oh, she's so quirky. I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> please don't call me that. I get a lot of, a lot, a lot, parents now, especially through, I guess, being in my community, are noticing their kids are perhaps like me and getting them diagnosed. And they ask me, how can I best support my teenager? How should we parent you? I understand that our brains are magic. Good. And we have such an idea in our society that we have to be a certain way Mm. and that our kids have to be a certain Mm. way and that humans in general have to be a certain way. That's not the way that the world is. That's bullshit. Mm. The world doesn't work unless there's different. And autistic kids and ADHD kids and neurodivergent kids are going to be those people that are pioneering what different means and what the incredible thing about being different is. And yes, there's going to be struggles and there might be different struggles than you would find in perhaps a neurotypical kid. The biggest thing that I can say is look for the strengths and look Mm, for the superpowers, look for the eye sparkles, look at what they can do. Because if we're only focusing on this person is weird and this person struggles with this and this person needs to rearrange their cups when, you know, they take one out of their room, then we're never going to we're never going to see the beauty of it because mm. it is beautiful. Mm. I love being neurodivergent. I would never change that about myself and it's really important that parents see that too. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember if the world was set up for people like us, it wouldn't be ever considered a negative if Absolutely. you got the diagnosis. You know what I mean? The only reason it's negative is because society has, like, this one-size-fits-all system, yeah. which it doesn't. It, it was set up by, you know, 40-year-old straight white blokes. Exactly. That's the I'm convinced. Yeah, that's the that, neutral. Yeah, exactly. I'm convinced that if we, if that if neurodivergence were the majority, mm. they would be considered so much weirder than we are. Absolutely. I'm convinced. Like, I look at the typicals and I'm like, what do you, oh. Why do you do that? Oh, you don't even like it. They do a lot of stuff. They, they don't, do so much stuff. Because they're the but rules. But it's like, like when I'm like, I do it this way, and they go, why? And I'm like, well, because ABC. Like, yeah. you know, this is how it works. And they go, yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But, like, I'll be like, why do you think it's polite to make eye contact? And why do you, like, have to do this? And why why does this yes. work? And I'm, they're like, well, I don't know, you just do it. And I'm like, but why? Yes. And I'm like, I'm convinced if they were the minority, people would, like, so true. put them in an asylum or something. Because I'm like, oh well, that God. doesn't make any sense. And often it's their answer just because, oh, that's just how we do it. Why? But why? Explain to me. It's not working for you. Literally. You fucking hate it. Literally. Oh. oh, my God. Oh, well, here we are, getting towards the end of the Emsolation International Women's Day extravaganza. We couldn't not have my chat with period guru Lucy Peach. She is the ultimate period queen. 
And I have to be honest, before I met her, before she came into my life, I didn't pay attention to my cycles. My period was still a nasty surprise that came every month, even though I've been menstruating for close to 30 years. Lucy has dedicated a large portion of her life to helping women hack their cycles, understand them, knowing how to get the best out of yourselves. This is important. I want you to get a pen if you need to. I want you to record it, whatever has to happen. Lucy Peach, the ultimate period queen, is about to let you know what you can do within your cycles, what the cycles are and how you can hack them. This is gold. This is gold. Lucy Peach. Um, yeah, can we talk about, because you've touched on it a couple of times, a couple of times, and this is what was life-changing for me. Can you talk about the cycles, how you've broken them down and, and just so we understand that? Yeah, so first of all, I'm certainly not the only one to have done this and there are a few really wonderful books out there that I'd be happy to um, Yeah, but include. you're the only one that like got on a stage <laughs> in Unitard and made it really interesting and amazing and took the time and effort and I don't care for those other people. <laughs> So shut up and don't talk yourself down. Oh, and thanks. Um, go hard and strong and to the middle and to the heart. Go. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So basically, you know, if if you look at yourself through a biologically male perspective, then it's very likely that you might feel like I'm all over the place or I'm a roller coaster or, you know, oh I'm a little bit, you know, crazy. Because I might just start crying. So if I do, just ignore it and push on. I will okay. channel that to, to the heart. Because you're totally okay? describing how I've seen myself for 41 years and I'm yeah, realising I'm wrong. Well, you know, you, that you've, you've been co-opted and, and we all have to some extent. And, you know, patriarchy is not good for men. It's not good for anybody. It's, it, we're all waking up to that. You know, we need to understand mm. the balance and how, how we all work and how we work together. And the internalised misogyny, Luce. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. A big uncharted frontier for a lot of women is because we've viewed everything through the male, our neutral gaze for so long through advertising, through TV, mm-hmm. everything was creative mm-hmm. was through the mm-hmm. male lens. Mm-hmm. Neutral setting mm-hmm. was straight white dude, Default, right? yeah, default dude. And how much of that as women have yep. we internalised yes. and therefore we judge ourselves through the yes. eyes of a straight man and other women. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. internalised misogyny, yep. my sisters, it's yep. real. Look it up. Continue, mm-hmm. Lucy. Absolutely. Yep. And yep. this is really, you know, speaks to that and is connected to that because, yeah, when you look at a male cycle, they are driven by testosterone largely and for the most part it's the same every day and mm. it changes throughout the day so it's a little bit higher in the morning and it kind of cools off and then it's replenished every night with sleep and it's a 24-hour cycle. It's like, you know, our experience of the sun. But when I didn't know men had cycles. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I'm not a men's cycle expert and I'm sure there's more to it but I don't have time for that quite frankly. <laughs> and so when you look at yourself through that 24-hour cycle then, yeah, you it can feel really really, really random. But if you zoom out and you look at your whole month, you know, 28, 29, 30 days or whatever it is, everybody is, you know, slightly different, then you'll see that actually you have four hormonal phases and Mm -hmm. they each come with their own strengths and benefits and they're based around two major events. So we begin with menstruation Somewhere around the middle, we have ovulation, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when you're releasing the egg. And we, you're always either experiencing those two events or you're preparing for them. And that's what gives us 
the four hormonal phases. And we also have a little bit of testosterone, but largely we have estrogen, which makes you fast and strong, and progesterone, which kind of chills you out and makes you feel more connected. And so we're constantly moving through the month with a different cocktail of of these hormones. And it's not like, oh, four hormonal phases, you have four feelings and, you know, if you don't fit into these four boxes, <laughs> then you're shit at doing that as well. It's, it's really, um, you know, it's very nuanced. And so I always suggest that when you're first exploring this whole idea, you know, listen to the TED Talk and read my book and read other people's books and you know, do all the things. Tell people your book. Give it a plug. plug, Peri- plug, plug. Period Queen is is the book, and it's and yes. it's a it's the emotional landscape to understanding your cycle. Yes. So, um, and technically, it's aimed at fifteen to twenty five year olds, but you know, it's it's I've had twelve year olds read it, I've had fifty year olds read it, and yep. you know, you 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 take away what you need to take away, but. Mm. Three months is a really good amount of time to commit to exploring your cycle. And it doesn't mean that you need to, you know, navel gaze every day and, Mm. you know, make it this huge onerous thing. All you need to do is just check in with where you're at, what day, how you felt that day, how you were in the world, what came easily, what was difficult. And you don't need to sort of, you know, stare too hard at it. Just, Just write a couple of lines every day. And so... Then after three months, you'll start to see patterns and you'll be able to kind of notice, you know, what comes easily to you and when. Hello, you lovely emsolators. It's uh, Giggling Ben here, uh, the producer of uh, Emsolation. I'm just stepping in because it's International Women's Day and we thought rather than drag Em in here to do some pickup lines and things, I should jump in and let her have a break. Of course, she's at home working her little patootie off. But regardless, here's some good for hers as provided by emsolators just like you. Good for her. Hey, Ben and Em. I have two people that I want to nominate for International Women's Day. Good for her. The first one is the little girl I saw at the shops today who was fed up with her nappy and had decided she was done with it. So proceeded to just pull down her pull-up nappy threw it across the shops towards her mum and then proceeded to walk off ever so confidently, as she should, over to the hand sanitizer that was next to the play equipment that she wanted to go on and off she went and she was thrilled. And I also wanted to shout out a good for her to her mum who just picked it up and kept going and didn't, didn't carry on. She just got on with it and I just felt in that moment that both of them... The mum and the daughter deserved a good for her for getting through their day the way that the best way they knew how. But my most favourite good for her this International Women's Day is to our fearless leader, Miss M. Rossiano, for all the amazing, wonderful, good for her moments that she gives us every day on her birthday, every day on socials and all the content that she gives us and all the chuckles and laughs and obviously every week on the podcast we just to be honest couldn't get through our days without what she does and she brings a smile to so many of us and she's the reason why I now walk around looking at little girls doing what they want to do and say good for her and other people in the community and to be honest it's become a phrase that with my friends that we use very often now when we're shouting out great achievements for women in the world. So to all of you, good for her. 
Sam and Michael. Hi, Emsolation team. My name's Beck, and I want to give a massive good for her to my very best friend, Tracy, who last week had a 12-centimetre cyst removed from her left ovary and a hysterectomy after years and years, a lifetime of pain from all sorts of things and she is just going to be an absolute new woman good for her and i love you tracy hey guys my name is lisa and my good for her is for my late mum uh her name was forda and she suffered uh years and years of domestic violence all sorts of stuff that my dad did to her and yet she still managed to raise me to be the woman I am and I would not be able to be here without her. And she's no longer with us, but she did a really good job and I love her and good for her. Thanks, guys. Hi, Em and the Emsolation team. My name's Anna, I'm from Melbourne, and my good for her this week is actually a good for me. I wanted to nominate myself I'm so proud of of myself. I'm embarking upon IVF as a solo woman and I've just had the phone call from the lab to say that there are tiny little cells in a very expensive Petri dish, busy dividing, and uh, hopefully that continues and I get some tiny little humans out of this process. I wanted to nominate myself because I'm really proud and I'm also so proud of all the women and all the humans out there who are um, embarking upon IVF to reach their dreams of having a family. Um, Yeah. Thanks, Em. Love you. Love the podcast. Love your work. All right, well, that's it. Happy International Women's Day from everyone here at Emsolation. I know about 97% of you are women. I can see it in the algorithms. Whatever you're doing today, celebrate yourself. Celebrate the incredible women in your lives. Let them know that they're incredible. We'll be back next week with a regular edition of Emsolation. I want to thank all the women who dedicated some time to this little podcast. Go and check out all their Instagrams and handles, all their projects. Virginia Gay, Lucy Peach, Jamila Rizvi, Chloe Hayden, Dr. Cara, Melissa Leung and Santilla Chingayepe. We'll hear you all next week. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is a Spotify exclusive podcast recorded at Down the Hill Studios, hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas and sometimes her eldest daughter, Marcella. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley. Produced by M. Rossiano. Edited by Ezekiel Fenn. With videos by James Henderson. Socials by Marcella Rossiano Barrow. With assistance from Jem Evans, plus cameos from M's dad, Vincey. Get the full Emsolation experience by following us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. Join other Emsolators at the Emsolation Group on Facebook. The answer is Harry Styles. If you really want to help us out, you could become a patron of Emsolation. Share this podcast with a friend. Give us a five-star rating and make sure you're following us on the Spotify app by actually hitting the follow button. As always, thanks for listening and we're excited excited to chat with you again soon. Mm-hmm.